This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to give you my big takeaway from UFC Overeem versus Harris. Speaking of which, we're going to speak to Alistair Overeem. We're also going to talk to co-main event loser, but maybe the winner just the same, Angela Hill. Plus, what kind of grade would you give the UFC's initiative with the three shows in Jacksonville? I'll do that as well. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 1 p.m. East Coast time, right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. I am looking to hear what your big takeaway is from UFC, well, uh, let's see, uh, UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Harris. In the meantime, here is my big takeaway. Another fight card is in the books, and another group of fighters have made their mark on the sport. You want to talk about a kid rising to the occasion? Thomas has examined the fights, studied the film, listened to the interviews, and made his decision the biggest lesson he learned over the weekend. Fights like that are the reason we watch MMA. This is the big takeaway on the Luke Thomas Show. Time now for the big takeaway right here on the Luke Thomas Show. And for me, the answer is if what you're looking for is fairy tale endings, MMA is not really the sport for you. Now, that's not entirely true. I don't want to have a completely jaundiced perspective, but I also feel like it's important to face reality head on in a situation like this. And it doesn't just involve Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris. We just discussed it. Alistair Overeem having just the most impossible task where you have to fight this guy where he's a difficult to beat. If you lose, that is potentially ruinous for what has been your ultimate ambition, which is a UFC title. Even if you win, still very difficult to get there. But if you lose, seems like a virtual impossibility. And, you know, the opponent has gone through, who's a a nice guy, by the way, has gone through horrific tragedy. The world is kind of hoping good things happen to him, and that means bad things for you. And yet, found a way to get a win and thread the needle where he didn't piss off the world. But you, I think all of us, I mean, do you feel sad for Walt Harris? I kind of do, you know I mean? Let me be clear about this, dude. Walt Harris getting out there in the way that he did, he's already a winner, man. If you've ever had any kind of tragedy in your life or you've lost uh, a loved one um, who really meant a lot to you, and if you lost a loved one in a tragic way, you know, your mileage will vary on this one. But for someone like me, it took me months to be normal. I mean, you know, I was still at the bottom of a bottle, relatively speaking, to where from the incident that happened to, uh, in the timeline for Walt Harris to where he is today, I was still at the bottom of a bottle when and I had something not quite like that, but my own, you know, my own tragedy. We all have them in our own lives. And here he is fighting in the UFC, and he came so close to winning, so close to winning. But it just wasn't meant to be that night. And if you really look at the three shows the UFC put on, you know, that lesson was kind of reinforced every time. So let's go back to Wednesday's show. You had Anthony Smith. Now, the good news is he's 31. We obviously wish him a speedy recovery. You know, I'm not going to relitigate the terms of the stoppage. But that was a bad loss. And you think to yourself, if you're Glover Teixeira, you know, I don't want to wish bad things on Glover Teixeira, but you had your chance. You know, you, you're 40 years old. You've had this moment to do what you want to do in the division. And at 31, it's time for this new crop to come up and take over and, and see what they can do. And he is systematically from Kute Laba to Roberson to Smith to uh, Krilov. He just keeps beating guys in their 20s or in the case of Smith at age 31. You know, th- this idea that you're going to have this, you know, these epic narratives of change and and when the younger crowd, when it's their turn, they're going to get their chance. You didn't really get that. And also the stoppage, you know, I'm not here to relitigate it exactly, but it wasn't exactly the, you know, didn't exactly send the warmest message about what, what kind of activity is taking place here. I think that's a fair way to put it, one way or the other. Uh, and then you go back to UFC 249 and, dude, you cannot be happy um, you cannot not, I should say, be happy for Justin Gaethje. But at the same time, dude, a fight that everybody and their brother was looking for in in Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov, they might fight in the future. But what made it special were the runs that they were on and what they were doing to the division. And it all went up in smoke. And, you know, it, you're just hoping that, like, the stars will align just the way that they need to to get the moment that you want in MMA. This is not that sport. This is a sport of brutal reality. 
This is a sport where if you're asking for some kind of literary narrative to take over, it's just not the one. And I can point to a, a, a million other than one of these scenarios. Now, you know, I thought that people were a little too hard on Nick Newell. And it turns out he's a very talented fighter. And I thought he could have won some fights in the UFC, but they gave him a shot in the contender series. It just wasn't meant to be, you know. Um, if you're Johnny Hendricks, and I know this is controversial, but, I, you know, listen, I thought he beat George St. Pierre in that fight, and he didn't. And St. Pierre was all messed up. And then, you know, of course, he came back and got the title. And that had a bit of it's a fairy tale run there. But, but this is what I mean. Uh, there's so many times where you can say, wow, somebody has really put themselves in a position to be a heartfelt cause. Somebody has put themselves in a position to be a professionally rooting cause. They've paid their dues. And sometimes it does happen. Right, Michael Bisping, you know, had wins and wins and wins and then setback, and then wins and wins and wins and wins and then setback, and on and on and on and on. And then the the time he finally gets a title shot, you know, it's on last minute notice against the guy who's already beaten him. You're like, well, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. And he does the impossible. It's not to say that it never happens. It sometimes can, and when it does, it is absolutely beautiful. But just understand something as well. This is a sport where. There is so much chaos involved. There is so much difficulty involved that it's really, really, really unlikely that the literary narrative we have in our minds and in the media pasted onto a situation will ever come true. But that should leave you with two takeaways. First, don't ever forget the other part of the story. You lost Nurmagomedov versus Ferguson, at least in the way that it would have mattered. But here comes Justin Gaethje, a guy who had his own set of setbacks, a guy who had his own set of difficulties, a guy who had his own moments of reflection and difficulty and found a way to put himself in a position to do what is considered to be so far, if not the impossible, something pretty close to it. Remember, you have to imagine most people think of themselves as the hero of their own story. And you should not take away what Justin Gaethje has earned because of something else that was lost. That part of what was earned also matters. And yes, it, we, we, you know, Sirius XM, obviously, uh, we feel uh, as human beings, as, as, as fans, as, as colleagues, certainly we send our sympathies to, to Anthony Smith. I, I doubt that he wants them in the way that we're extending them because he's you know, too tough for that kind of a thing. But, you know, it sucked to watch that. To be quite candid with you, forget about the stop. It's just the fact that he lost. It sucked. It sucked to watch that. But at the same time, there's something else you have to consider, dude. Glover Teixeira at 40 years old, he has a dream too. He has something he cares about too. And he's not doing it by virtue of calling people out on social media and saying nasty things about him. He's doing it the hard way at the latest age possible. You can't take that away from him either. And as I said in the last segment, Alistair Overeem was in a very difficult position, not merely because Walt Harris is tough, not merely because Walt Harris um, is a nice guy and a nice guy who's got, you know, the world uh, wanting him to win because of unspeakable tragedy that had befallen him and his family, you know, but the reality is Overeem was up against it. He had not lost to a guy as good as Harris is who had elevated himself um, uh, who, excuse me, who had yet to elevate himself to a top five contender. Overeem's got ups and downs, but he usually loses to champions or top contenders, not the guys who have yet to become that. And maybe Walt will, but at this point, he has not yet done that. This would have been a chance potentially to get there. And you would have lost back-to-back. Remember, he was supposed to win the, the Rosenstruck fight. He only lost at the last second. To have two back-to-back losses, especially in the way in which you were losing them, um, that would have been finishes if, if, if referee Dan Murglia would have called it off. You know, that would have been really bad. But, dude, Overeem's got a dream, too. Overeem wants that UFC title. And I don't know how good his chances are or aren't, but you can't forget about that either. So that's the first lesson. Never forget about what else you might be getting gained from a scenario like this. The second part I would say is this is why it's important to celebrate all the small victories. This is why sometimes I'll celebrate someone's win or someone's effort, and they'll say it's not good enough until they beat X. It doesn't matter until they beat Y. This doesn't count until later. To which I say, no. I firmly reject that analysis. Count every victory, a little legitimate ones, of course, but count every victory when they have that moment. 
Do not wait and say, this only matters on the condition that they get something else later. Now, maybe you can say that for, you know, awarding title shots or something else like that. But I see people all the time say, what does it really show? What does it really mean? Every time someone gets a professional leg up, celebrate it. Celebrate it because in that moment, they there is a story to be told about it. There's a grander story to be told about the narrative of what they're putting together. And each one is so difficult in a sport where fairy tale endings rarely happen. Let them enjoy it at the moment that they have achieved it. That's the reality. This is Frank Isola. While the games are on hold and we're all going through a lot right now, the starting lineup is still talking hoops on NBA Radio. Jeff Van Gundy joins us. After a playoff series, win or lose, did you always go down and shake the other coach's hand? Coach Riley, we, we never shook hands. The players didn't either. True sportsmanship is how you play the game. It's not after the game do you shake somebody's hand or not. Hear the show weekday morning starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBA Radio, Sirius 207, XM86, and anytime on demand with the Sirius XM app. Let's go to our guest now. He was the winner in the main event on Saturday. Boy, he got kind of close the other way, but he gutted it out and got a great win. It is the uh, demolition man himself, Alistair Overeem. Hi, Alistair. Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. Good afternoon, evening here in Netherlands. I'm good. Happy to be back with my family. Happy with the victory. Happy 40, a little bit less happy with 40, but <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations, Alistair. That was a tough fight. First of all, let me ask you, how is international travel in the uh, current COVID world that we live in? Is it is it especially difficult? Uh, it's not difficult. People wear masks. It, it, it's getting a little bit more busy because five weeks ago, I traveled um, during the height of the pandemic, um, quote, unquote. I flew to Netherlands, check up on my family, my kids, and then... <clears throat> But the fight was postponed anyways. And then two weeks later, I flew back into the States when my fight was uh, rebooked. And uh, that was like, that was, it was very empty then. 10 to 15% on the plane. Wow. Airports entirely empty, entirely empty. No lines, customs, no lines, nowhere. And uh, people a little bit depressed. But now you can kind of see things are getting back to normal. Very good. Well, um, and, and all in all, you know, given all the safety concerns, both with travel and at the hotel and the fight itself, in general, you feel pretty confident that, uh, by the way, how did your antibody test go, right? You thought you had it. Did you have it? Did, what, what was the result? Well, I, uh, I didn't get any results. They, they, they did do the test. They did, you know, the blood and the, and the nose swab, but I didn't get any results. So I'm actually going to follow up with my assistant to follow up with UC to see if we uh, actually had the antibodies uh, test positive or, or not. Got it. Okay. Well, let's talk about the fight itself, Alistair. Uh, sort of a crazy back and forth. First of all, yeah. how concerned were you that it was going to get stopped when you were on your back there? Well, I was not concerned because I was just right in the middle of the fight. And, um, you know, I was, I was still active. I was still moving. And I don't know. You know, uh, when you accept getting hit, and you're not going to move anymore. Either you're damaged or you're just giving up. And that was not the case. Uh, but at that time, you don't want to think, right? When you're thinking, you're slow. You just need to react. And when somebody's hammering on you, and a, you know, quite a big guy too, 275 pounds, um, yeah, you're not going to allow that to happen. You just need to get out of there. Yeah, well, look good regardless. Was his hand speed surprising at all? Um... Not, not, not too surprising. Um, you know, he was aggressive. He, he was. A, he's got a lot of first-round finishes too, right? Explosive right. guy, heavy guy. Uh, so we were kind of ready for that, kind of expecting that. <clears throat> um, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so you were able to turn the tide in the first. Talk to me about how you set up the, not, not the finish from the ground, but the head kick and then the punch. Is that a typical combo you go to? What did you see? Well, he, um, I could kind of see he was open at the head. I think I kicked his leg a couple of times before, and then I could notice there's an opening uh, um, upstairs. So I just capitalized this fruit, and it connected head on. And then you dropped them, of course. The, the, the wrist rides you were doing, I mean, is that something you, like, obviously you've probably known about them before, you know, but I'm wondering to what extent um, the team elevation has changed some of the choices you make in terms of your ground game. 
Well, I think uh, they're instrumental, all right, in my ground round at the moment. Um, you know, we're always training to get better. I think the team is excellent in all aspects, striking, wrestling, uh, BJJ, submissions, everywhere. I think uh, they're excellent. And uh, I'm just training every day to get better, every day new stuff, uh, drilling the new stuff, owning it. So uh, I think that's a little bit of the king of the team. The team is doing the latest stuff. Alistair Overeem joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Alistair, in terms of satisfying wins, given what had happened in the Rosenstruck fight where you're winning basically the entire version of it, and at the last minute it doesn't go your way, and then Pierre got kind of close, and of course you came back and then you dominated. Can you say how satisfying it is? Are all, are all your victories equally satisfying? Certainly some must mean more than others. Well, this was a satisfying victory, right, because we had to make a statement after the Rosenstruck thing. But, um, yeah, you know, looking at the performance, it was a very strong performance. You know, you're displaying new stuff, uh, the head kick, um, the, the, the background stuff. So that's, that's, that's all perfect. But I'm not dissatisfied about the Rosenstein performance. That was also, we schooled the guy. You know, you're up all five rounds. It was just like one, or actually it was two punches that, that he connected. Uh, in my opinion, a wrong stoppage. The ref should have never jumped in. And when he jumped in, it was zero seconds left. I actually had I thought it was, uh, it was uh, the end of the fight because I, I, I remember the, the click-click last 10 seconds. And then, you know, I got dropped straight back to my feet and then it was over. And I, I thought I actually won that fight. Hmm. And then it's like, hey, shit, they stopped it, uh, TKO. And then you have Rose like, talking about it, he KO'd me, KO'd me. That guy got lucky. And I would love to run it back with him because, again, I fight him again, I'm going to finish him 100%. Would you fight him differently? Well, I'm not going to tell you that, but I will finish him. <laughs> I'm not going to allow the judges to, to get in or to have him have a uh, lucky moment as he did. You know, when you fight, there's always the chance for an X Factor, and this was the X Factor. The X Factor fell in his, uh, in his advantage, and, uh, you know, as a pro, I look at myself, I should have not allowed that to happen. It was the fluke. It definitely was a fluke. And, uh, yeah, you know, give me the opportunity and I'll, and I'll prove it was a fluke. Alistair, you know. I did that for five rounds. But give me another opportunity, I'm going to prove it in two. Fair enough. Alistair, you know what's really just incredible about your career is you made your pro debut in 99. You've changed weight classes. You've gone from light heavyweight to heavyweight. But that doesn't really tell the story of your career. To me, the real story of your career is how you have, at, at different stages, technically evolved and reinvented for all the new realities that, you're, that, you, that you face and the challenges that are ahead of you. And you've remained a top contender the entire time. How do you do that when so many other fighters struggle to keep pace with the ever-changing nature of the sport? Well, I think it's a couple of factors, right? Obviously, you, you need to have excellent physical condition. So that is, that is I think I'm really good at injury uh, treatment and prevention. Us fighters all get hurt from time to time, but it's all about how do you deal with those and how do you prevent those. Uh, nutrition has always been on point. I think it's it's never been on point as it is now. Just a lot of veggies, a lot of good proteins, a lot of, you know, I also know my body too, right? That's the experience part. I know how my body reacts. I know how to, that's also why I'm not really afraid of the whole Corona thing because I know my body so well. I, my diet is perfectly accustomed to my immune system. So I, I, I don't even get sick or anything, right? Um, so with all those, with all that said, there's so much things to research as a fighter to explore, right? Immune system, health, injury prevention, separate from the striking, the grappling, the submissions, the wrestling, the offense, the defense, this, that. So I don't know. I'm just a curious person. I just kept learning, kept reading, kept, kept doing right. And, and, and also tried to implement it in the training. And I think that is, that is a big, uh, attribute, uh, tribute to my uh, Corofa's fighter. It's incredible to watch. Alistair Overeem joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Uh, Alistair, could you feel the weight of 
you know, this was a big opportunity for you, right? You wanted to get back in the winning track. You still want to compete for a UFC title. Um, but, you know, you could probably tell that the sport wanted a happy ending for Walt uh, Harris. Could you feel the weight of people, like, hoping for a fairy tale ending for him? And was that weird for you? No, I didn't really feel a lot of pressure. But, I, 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 of course, you see the promos. What has happened to Walt... Uh, it's terrible, right? So I, I did feel for him as a person, as a friend, but this is sport. This is separate. Um, and I think, I think for him, I think it's really good that it is separate. This is, yeah, his go-to, you know, he's been through something tragic and then it is really good. You have something positive to cling on to. So I don't know. I just really tried to see it on a positive angle and I really tried to approach it on the sports uh, side. Uh, did you and Walt get a chance to talk after the fight? We didn't talk after the fight. Well, we were talking a little bit before the fight. Yeah, um, it, but you, it sounded like what you had said was, and they captured it on camera, was that you had invited him um, to train. You know, that's something that I think uh, others have done for you as well, right? Like, why is that? It's, it's, it's always a nice gesture, but, like, why is that, like, the ultimate gesture in MMA? Why is that the one that is considered to be um, the most sort of caring, for lack of a better description? Um. Well, I think because you 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 bled together in the real fight, you kind of like each other, and then you train together, right? And you make each other better, and you and because of, of course when you when you train in the gym, you're you're testing yourself in the gym, but there's no egos, right? You're just making each other better, allowing to grow off of each other in a friendly setting, no audience. Uh, Alistair, you so you turned forty. Do you, uh, I'm forty years old as well. Uh, we're we're old dirt bags, you and I. Do you have any <laughs> big plans for your birthday? Well, I had a really nice party scheduled. I rented the castle, a couple hundred guests. Everything was perfect. Then COVID came along, and uh, yeah, shit, I'd actually <laughs> move it to next year now. So. Because this 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 summer's over, right? This summer there's no events, and they're gonna they're gonna slowly start everything up again. But we just uh, moved it to next year, just to Fair. be safe. And in terms of your professional ambition here, Alistair, like, do you have a timeline for what you want to do? In other words, we know what you want, right? The UFC title. Have you given yourself it has to happen by this date, or uh, I'm going to run this until I've decided whenever that happens, either you get it or you don't, and then that's when I'll make a call. Like, how are you pursuing this chapter of your career? Well, I have another four on the contract, and um, the way that I'm uh, in it is like, uh, I would like to finish the four, but if it comes before, before four, let's say after two fights, and it's done. It's done after two fights. So I'm just, I would like to finish my contract, but uh, whenever it's time, it's time. Have you thought about what you're going to do afterwards? <clears throat> I have actually. Um, I will become a coach in MMA. I'll probably have two main locations that I'll operate from. So I'll just spend time in between those two locations, probably six months, six months. Probably Thailand and Netherlands, uh, or Thailand and USA, three spots maybe. And, um, yeah, enjoy life, right? Yeah, well, you've certainly earned it. Uh, by the way, raise my kids, but also also spend time on the mat because I know I really love going to the gym. I've been training for 27 years, a lot of knowledge there, a lot of experience. So it would be great to keep working with people, keep working with the young guys, you know, and there's some young studs coming, right? The other Sanyas, the Kamaru the, Usmans. The, the the, even Francis Ngannou, all these guys are looking tremendous. So, yeah, it would be nice to, to keep involved in the sport, but then as a, as a coach. All right, let me pick your brain before you go, Alistair. Really appreciate your time. Uh, number one, who do you like in the Cormier and uh, Miocic trilogy fight? <clears throat> I don't know. That's a real uh, good question. You know, people look really good in, uh, in their return bout. Cormier obviously looked great in the first fight. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have no idea who's going to win that fight. And then last but not least. I would, I would rather go a little bit, lean too, a little bit towards Steeper because of the age, maybe. Yeah. And then last but not least, you've seen uh, John Jones and uh, Francis Ngannou going back and forth on social media as a heavyweight fight. How do you, how do you handicap that? Yeah, that would be awesome, to be honest. Um, 
I do not see John Jones accepting that five one two three. You know, saying it is one, but actually doing it is an entirely different. But on the other hand, listen, everybody wants to see it, right? I, I, I just don't like people who talk a lot and then don't follow through. So I actually do want to see that fight. But I think uh, that is pretty far from uh, materializing, to be honest. Well, we'll see what happens. I do know this. Uh, you did an unbelievable job over the weekend, Alistair. You're a credit to the sport. You had a difficult task, and you passed it with flying colors. Congratulations. Happy birthday, and enjoy your time with your family. Thank you, sir. Anthony Smith on MMA Tonight. Is this now the moment where everyone's looking at Justin Gaethje as maybe the best lightweight on planet Earth? Justin Gaethje is fundamentally better than Tony Ferguson, so I'm not sure if they ran that back, if it would look much different. Maybe that was the Gaethje effect. Like, maybe it's not Tony. Maybe he didn't have an off night, and Justin Gaethje's just good at making people look bad. At this point, there's a strong argument to be made that Justin may be the best 155-pounder on the planet. Tuesday through Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Well, there were some controversial decisions at uh, UFC Fight Night, whatever number this was, on ESPN 8. And uh, one of them was in the co-main event. Now, Gadelia ended up, Claudia Gadelia ended up beating Angela Hill, but there is a profound amount of controversy about it. And one of them had a scarred up face. The other one is on social media, but they're being like, I'm ready to fight in two weeks. In fact, that one, the latter of the two, joins us now on the hotline. It is the one and only Angela Hill. Hi, Angela. How are you? Hey, I mean, physically, I'm okay. Uh, mentally, I'm pissed. <laughs> I could tell. Um, I could tell. Yeah. It, <laughs> how, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. So let, let me ask you about this. Um, so first of all, I went and looked at the number. I, 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 I wrote on Twitter that I thought it was a coin flip, but I, you know, it's, it never it matches what I really mean. What I meant to say was I thought you had done it, but you just never know with the judges, right? I knew it was going to be close, so at that point, you know, who the hell knows how it was going to go. How confident were you that you had won in terms of what the judges were going to tell you when the fight was over? Um, I, I was totally confident. I thought it was an obvious 29, 28 for me. I knew, uh, the first round she came at me hard, but it's kind of what we knew what was going to happen. I knew she was going to gas in the first, as long as I made her work for the takedown, which I did. Um, she had me against the fence longer than she had me on the ground. I feel like. And, uh, and so I knew that took a lot of energy out of her. So every takedown attempt after that was just her stalling for time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I watched it again. I didn't watch it until this morning. Um, and, you know, the second round was obviously mine because I dropped her. But uh, when you look at just the exchanges, the striking exchanges, the third round was even more clear. Like, I, I landed the cleaner shots. I landed more often. Um, even if she threw more than she threw in the second round, she, she missed. Uh, more than half of the stuff that she threw. So I, like, I don't know. It's just really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that after that performance, the judges would still give her the win. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just, um, um, I've worked really hard to get to this point where I can perform that way against someone that good. Um, and I know a lot of people doubted that I'd even finished the fight against her uh, just because the people that I've, I beat up to that point weren't ranked or aren't ranked anymore because I beat them. Um, so coming into that fight, feeling confident about beating her and then doing it for, for those five minutes before they called, they called the fight for her for those five minutes. I, I, I was, I, I was so proud of myself, you know, and I still am. Um, but for those five minutes, I, I was just thinking, dude, I just beat Claudia Gadelia, like, and, and like clearly beat her, you know? So, yeah. um, so having that moment kind of ripped away from me has been pretty tough to deal with. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I will say this, those two things, one, the story coming out of the fight, you know, she got her hand raised technically, but the story coming out of the fight is how good you've gotten, not so much where she goes from here, number one. And number two, I don't know if you've looked at the numbers from Fight Metric um, in terms of your fight. You landed only 10 strikes, significant strikes, I should say, in round one. But by round three, and in round two, you outstruck her, but in round three, you landed 43. 
uh, 43 of 78, which is an unbelievable number. So, again, stats don't tell the whole story, but the stats certainly back up your efforts. That, that must bring you some comfort. Yeah, and um, I, I saw the stats before I actually watched the fight again um, because I knew it was just going to piss me off even more watching the fight. Um, and, and yeah, like watching that third round, cause I knew that was the round that was up for debate. Um, I, w- I watched the third round and I'm just like, dude, I picked her apart more in the third round. I was more loose. I landed more. I threw more kicks. I, I landed more knees. I, I landed the cleaner straight punches. Um, I snapped her head back every time I jabbed her, she was filling her nose because it hurt, you know? And like, she landed a couple punches on me, but but literally the the only thing that she did that moved me was she would throw a punch while I threw a punch and maybe I'd like, you know, stumble to the side or something because she punched my shoulder really hard. Like, she, it, it, and it feels really obvious watching the third round um, on tape now. And I know things are different when you're there in person, but uh, it, it's just heartbreaking for me to to know that I put on I, I feel like like I know there's always more I can do there's always I I can always be uh you know take more risk I could have jumped on top of her in the second round and tried to finish it um I I could have you know just I don't know I could have gone for takedowns in the third round who knows what I could have done but like I feel like that performance should have gotten me to win it shouldn't have been a question of uh how can I win better you know, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it, it, it just pisses me off. Like I'm, I'm so angry and, you know, the, and I, I keep talking about how, um, having so many losses on my record has just messed with my confidence a lot in my whole, uh, resurgence in the UFC. And, uh, it, it messes with my wallet and messes with, uh, you know, the fact how fast I can get a title shot. Um, and I think that performance showed that I, if I, if I get those opportunities, if I get those fights, I'm going to beat those girls and I'm going to get the title shot. I'm going to keep the title. Like that's what that performance proved to me. And when, after the fight was over, I was like, I'm going to be champion. And then they, they ripped that away from me. So it it really pisses me off. And I'm not angry at Gadelia. Like, obviously, she's going to celebrate after winning something she probably didn't feel like she won after getting her face mashed up. You know, she's going to celebrate getting the win anyway. She probably doesn't even remember what happened in the second round. But, yeah, like, I, I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at the fact that the judges have so much power over over my future you know it's mm. it's uh it's a shame uh so so yeah i'm trying to stay i'm trying not to be too emotional about it and i'm trying to put my energy towards positive things like you know working on just being more vicious getting finishing the fight because that's you know always the solution when it comes to bad judging finish the fight but yeah, it, yeah. It, it's just really disappointing that i can't I, I should be celebrating right now, and instead, I'm I'm having nightmares about what I could have or should have done, and 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 just wondering why my ride in the UFC has been so much harder than anyone else with my talent. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's just been a really tough pill to swallow. I can imagine. I appreciate your candor as well. Angela Hill joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Angela, let's focus on a little bit of the positive here. In terms of your game plan, right, what you guys thought you were going to execute, what you needed to execute, and what worked perfectly, what lined up? Um, a lot of things. You know, uh, we predicted the first round going the way it did. It sucked, uh, but... I made her work, you know, I wasn't just sitting there. Um, there was a few moments where I was flat on my back that watching the tape, I'm like, Oh, I should have been, uh, you know, trying to get to my side a little faster, but I was, I was pretty stuck down there for a second. Um, but I was happy that I was able to get to the cage and get up. That was, that was a big thing that we worked on a lot. So it gave me confidence. I knew that if, if she did take me down early in the next round, I'd at least be able to stand up, you know, the whole round wouldn't be spent with me stuck underneath her. So that really opened me up in the second round. I started letting my hands go more. Uh, we, we worked a lot on pressuring, pressuring, uh, was, 
the main thing I felt that stopped her from being able to take me down because she had to, I guess, pause before she changed level and shoot on me. And when I, when I was going forward, it made it a lot easier to read her takedowns. So that was a big thing uh, that we worked on in fight camp was just pressuring, not being afraid of the takedown. And oddly enough, that's what makes the takedown easier to read. Um, So that uh, just throwing a lot of level changes and body shots and, not being able to throw uh, knees and elbows. I think in the second round, I landed uh, a good elbow. And in the third round, I landed a good one too. So I feel like that stopped her from shooting in as often just for fear of getting cut. Um, hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I felt like everything worked, you know, uh, there, the, I, I did plan for um, hitting, hitting, hitting her a little bit more in the clinch. And uh, maybe going for my own takedown, but uh, in the in the moment, I felt like I was landing so clean on her uh, that I could possibly drop her again. So I I wanted to keep it on the feet. I wanted to drop her again, and then hopefully uh, get the KO. So, so yeah. yeah. Two, two two things about that, Angela. Let me ask. Let me follow up here. I'm looking at the numbers. You had a nice diversity in terms of where you were landing for the body and the head, but you didn't really target the legs. I'm guessing that was due to her wrestling. And so that's the first question. Yeah. Yeah. Take down. So the second part is I noticed, you know, you completely shut her down in the second and third rounds, but, uh, in terms of the takedown, is she as strong as advertised? It looked like she was at least in the first round, a formidable challenge. Um, she's, she's just big. Uh, she's big and she's desperate. So when you put those two things together, uh, it, it can be a lot to deal with. And, uh, you know, even even someone like Carla Esparza or someone like uh, Tatiana Suarez, uh, who doesn't rehydrate as much, um, they, they're still desperate for that takedown. So having that determination to drag you down, it, it takes a lot of energy out of both people, out of the person going for the takedown as well as the person defending it. And, um, and that's really all I felt strength-wise. After the first round, she didn't feel strong anymore. She didn't like she felt as strong as I did. Um yeah, she used she used everything in her energy to keep me down there and then after the first round it it wasn't an issue anymore. So um so yeah, like I, I definitely didn't want to give her anything. Um uh, anytime she would drop down for my leg I I'd think, oh, oh okay, you know, that's what she's looking for. So so I definitely didn't want to give her my leg, uh, when it came to throwing leg kicks. Um, but the high kicks always feel, feel a lot safer. You know, it's, it's harder to shoot when you're throwing up high cause, because it could hit you in the face, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as you're changing levels. So, um, so yeah, the, the leg kicks, I always feel like unless the person is very upright and not going for takedowns nonstop, I always feel like the leg kick can be a little dangerous. Hmm, fair enough. Angela Hill joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. Now, Angela, I'm going to ask this question out of, uh, just to play a debate game. It's not that I think I have the right answer, but you had this fight, right? You've been on this incredible, well, you know, run here, not merely in terms of winning, uh, although Saturday didn't go your way in terms of that, but I mean, you know, uh, you've been competing constantly and getting your hand raised for the most part. You wanted to fight again in two weeks. Now, I don't know what the right answer is, but somebody might say, <laughs> Hey, take a break. You know, you've earned it, let your body heal, even though you feel good. Sometimes fighters lose, and the first thing they want to do is get back out there to get one back, and that isn't always the best answer. Why do you think that getting back out there in two weeks is the right uh, move for you? Hey, man, I, I didn't get hurt in that fight. Um, I don't know what those significant strikes were on the punch count that she landed, but they didn't do anything to me. They didn't hurt my face. They didn't rock me. Um, I think the hardest thing she landed was when I was standing up in the first round and, and she threw some ground and pound as I was standing up. Um, so, so I, I really value health, you know, like especially training with someone like Dom, who's always in and out of the gym for different injuries. Like I, I value the fact that I come out of these fights uninjured and I can get back in there as soon as possible. Um, and, and I know a lot of people have been unlucky with that. So I, I that. I feel like it's the only thing I'm lucky with. Aside when it comes to decisions, I'm super unlucky. Um, when it comes to matchups, I'm unlucky. But now that now that I feel like I can take on anyone, especially after this last fight, 
I'm like, bring it, you know, like, uh, I'm in shape. Um, I'm ready to go. I'm motivated. I'm more motivated than after my, my three win streak, you know, three fight win streak. I'm more motivated now just because I have that confidence that I beat Claudia Gadelia's ass. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't mind taking a few weeks off. Um, but if they gave me a name, I'm, I'd jump in there immediately just because I know I can, I can beat anyone now. I know I have the confidence. I'm going to be even more loose. I'm going to throw even more. I'm going to make, fuck it. Maybe I'll throw a leg kick, you know, who knows? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I just, I just think that I can take on anything now. I have this, despite the, the, what the judges saw, I have this newfound confidence in myself that, um, you know, was budding after the three fight win streak, but after beating someone or <laughs> I didn't beat her, but after fighting like that against someone like Gadelia, you know, it's, it's my confidence is through the roof. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm ready to jump back in there and it's not because I lost. It's because I did so well. And that's what I needed to prove to myself before I even thought about calling out a champion fighter, you know, before even thinking about becoming a title contender, I wanted to have a fight like that where I proved to myself that no matter who, who they match me up with, I'm going to tool them. So yeah, that's why. Well, uh, you know what? It was good to see though. I think a lot of people were on your side. What kind of response, especially from the fans, did you get after the fight? Um, it's, it's wild, you know, like, uh, I've had fights where I thought I should have won before. I think this was the the worst one. I think this was the most clear when it comes to me. me I I should have gotten my hand raised and the other person did. Um, but it's also the one, the highest uh, platform too. Like first co-main event, um, only thing, only live sport right now. And uh, and yeah, the fans. Oh man, it's crazy. Like. Uh, uh, if I look at my, my DMs, like I can scroll through, like each hour we'll have like 30, 30 messages from random people just saying, you won that fight, you won that fight. And then I'll go to the next hours, like 30 more messages. Um, it, it's really insane. And, and it makes it, it definitely helps, you know, uh, because in the past when it happens and, Obviously, my fans are like, oh, we thought you won, but they kind of are biased because they like me. Uh, now I feel like everyone is saying I won that fight. Like, uh, it's funny. My brother texted me and he was like, hey, I looked at this Brazilian website and I translated all the comments and they all thought you won too. You know, so it's like uh, it, it, it's hard to it's hard to argue with that you know like uh the world thinks that i won that fight and the world is pissed off for me so it, it definitely makes me feel less crazy for feeling this way um but it still doesn't change the outcome like i i would it, and it's not even about the money at this point like i would give up my win bonus if that could be a win on my record just because i know i won and uh yeah it 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 stings you know it it makes me more angry it makes me more hungry but uh at this moment where i can't really do anything about it except for like try to plan out <laughs> training for the next one uh, it's it's just a hard place to be in right now well, here's what I know. You certainly did enough to catch people's attention and to show how far you've come. It sounds like what you're looking for is the kind of win that validates that journey. Maybe you didn't get it on Saturday, Angela, but I don't feel like it's too far away, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, you know Thanks. what? You're in Florida. <laughs> get some sunshine. Get some vitamin D. Enjoy yourself. I know it didn't go your way on the cards, but that was not a trip that it's all together a loss. There was a lot to take from that, um, and uh, you should be proud of yourself. So congratulations just the same, Angela. I'm sorry it didn't go your way, but there's a lot to be happy about. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Relax. Let's have some fun out here. This game's fun, okay? <laughs> 
This is Mike Farron. If you've missed a minute of sports from the sidelines on MLB Network Radio, catch every episode on demand with the SiriusXM app. It's athletes and executives talking to athletes and executives. Hear Trevor May and Twins teammates break down life in the AL Central. Pitmasters Tim Melville and Buck Farmer talking brisket recipes. We're All-Stars Patrick Corbin and Whit Merrifield on the 2020 season. Plus much, much more. Don't miss sports from the sidelines. Available now on the SiriusXM app. Search sidelines. So the UFC has held um, three shows in the last, God, eight days or so. I mean, we're past the eight-day mark at this point, right? I mean, what is it, Monday now? Uh, but, but here's the point I want to make. The UFC, in the course of eight days, let's say, held three different shows. UFC 249, then they held the Smith versus Teixeira card, and then Saturday's Overeem versus Harris card. And they were trying to get probably a few things out of it. So the question is, you know, was the... Was the push that they were going through successful? Was what it did they get out of the three shows in Jacksonville what they were hoping for? And I, I don't know how you can answer anything, but yes, that doesn't mean everything went perfectly. I, I don't think anyone would say that it did, but I mean, look, here's what they were hoping for, right? One was to merely be able to just have shows. Like let's just let's just see if we can get three shows in the pocket. We'll see what happens after that. One. Mission accomplished too. Probably it was more than that. Probably it was to show not only could we have three shows, but we showed that in doing that, we can keep the train on the tracks. Now, where they're going to do that, Nevada, Arizona, time will tell. But in terms of doing that and finding a commission partner to help facilitate that, you know, mission accomplished. I think that went pretty well. In terms of the entertainment value, of all three cards, where they were airing on ESPN Plus, both Plus and then ESPN for Saturday show, and then of course the pay per view, and then ESPN beyond that. Uh, did they provide a high degree of entertainment? I think that they did, even though there were no fans in the in the arena. Like that, I think all went really well. They didn't get the Tony versus Khabib inevitability that I think a lot of fans and media rightly had hoped for, but. Again, we've discussed this, the Justin Gaethje thing. Again, Walt Harris didn't go the way that I think some had hoped. But, you know, Overeem is, uh, you know, he really deserved that win in, in his own right. And uh, he got it. So, anyway, uh, we, 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 we litigated that already. But in, in terms of that, like, did they put on entertaining product in a way when, for the most part, they had no competition? Uh, yes. Now, there is some debate about what they were what they were able to get in terms of viewership. I know the Sports Business Journal had reported 700,000 views or excuse me pay-per-view buys I should say. But the ratings for the television components while they've not been bad, they've not been anything extraordinary and other pay-per-views that had similar numbers of um, prelim cards due to the numbers that they did on ESPN did not return those kinds of gains. I have to tell you I'm I'm I don't you know, John Oranda, Sports Business Journal, is not a guy who is known for reporting false things. I'm just going to say I'm a little skeptical of that. But here's the point. It almost doesn't even matter what the returns were because the UFC has reduced the volatility in that business by getting a guaranteed cut from each pay-per-view. So they got the money rolling in. We found out from Moody's that the live gate is only 12% of the UFC's business. So while it hurts, it's not some kind of... Um, deal ender for how they put on shows so 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 far so good now let's talk about the covid side of things here, here has been my sense like the fact that they had just the jacare thing granted it was at the very first event um that part was not great but in the end it did not result that we think in calamity now i know dana white has said well no one got sick well the reality is we don't really know that right because they tested everyone on that wednesday they never retested, and then there's potential exposure in that hotel, either from Jacare or others. The course of the whole week, they don't get tested when they go home. Like we don't. Again, we have a two week potentially or more incubation period. Like declaring victory on the we we made sure no one got COVID at our shows is too premature. But let's assume for the sec for the sake of argument that that actually happens, that no one actually gets sick then they have some kind of a workable plan. And I think we all agreed as well, if you're, if you're learning by doing, which is what they are with this, because there is no blueprint that they can follow, uh, in theory, every subsequent show will have the right kind of um, adjustments made to the safety protocol in order to uh, you know, get it right. Now, again, we also talked about the fact that I read that New York Times, not really a report, but the document that the UFC put together and gave it given to Florida, 
you know, there was a lot that the UFC did not adhere to. The question is, did it matter in the end? That part, the jury is still out. However, what you can also say in the UFC's defense is it was kind of interesting, right? They put out this, uh, or the document gets released by the New York Times, but they essentially go through this effort. And then I know that in the other cases, the wheels were already in motion, but now MLB comes out with their own safety proposal. The union has to approve it. I got to say, man, the union, or, or rather I should say the both parties, They've got a lot to figure out, man, because it is way more complicated to get that right for baseball than it is for UFC, and you can tell that right away. Much more difficult. So, but at least they're they're pushing that forward, and now you're beginning to hear rumblings. You know, had you had NASCAR at Darlington with no no COVID checks, but also no fans, and they had a series of other things they were trying to do. In, in other words, the UFC was sort of the vanguard for a larger movement. However connected you want to say that they are, certainly they came first. And you're beginning to see these rumblings and these initiatives to get the other sports you know, behind them doing many of the same or similar kinds of things. So I would say when you grade the totality, some of it isn't incomplete because we just don't know the actual impact of what safety measures they took. Uh, resulted in people can say that they do but we just don't again it could be they they pass with flying colors i'm simply saying we don't know but it seems like for now on the entertainment side a a minus at worst on everything else you know assuming no one gets sick i would say c plus b minus so we're talking about a b plus ish kind of an area which i would say if you're the ufc you know did you get out of jacksonville what you wanted I don't know how they answer that with anything other than an affirmative yes. Um, still a lot to learn. Still a long way to go before you know we're back to anything even resembling normal. Um, but I think that they have to be pleased ultimately with how events transpired, assuming that the safety protocol ultimately does what it's supposed to do and fulfills the need that it needs to. The last thing I'll say on the safety protocol, which I know folks don't want to focus on because every time you bring it up, they decide that it's not a it's not an issue anymore. But, you know, it is. It is that, I've said this before, it's like people said, oh, did it work? Well, it worked what it was designed to do. It was designed to catch everything up front ostensibly and then contain, take to the arena, come back, and then let it go. So that if you're at our space... No one gets sick. And to me, there's still some adjustments that need to be made to that. I especially think as testing gets better in terms of its turnover time, that that will be less of a concern where if you have to retest everyone, you can. Um, And getting a different waiver um, for media to sign that doesn't include non-disparagement clauses. Again, the COVID thing is different, but the non-disparagement clauses probably is something that they're going to want to do because that's just not a document I'm ever prepared to sign. And I've told people at my jobs, don't expect me to sign it. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, but if you can make those kinds of adjustments where you, you have, you built in fail safes in case something goes wrong, you get the language right on some of these things where you have to cover your ass, but you don't really get bad headlines that you don't need to get. You keep getting the fighters who want to be there. You keep putting on the events. You find the right venues. You find the right partners from either hotels or athletic commissions. You know, it seems like it's something you can continue to produce at scale. Now, no one really knows where all of this is headed in terms of flare-ups and changes and blah, blah, blah. But the UFC has to feel good about Jacksonville. Jacksonville, in the totality of the experience, has to be considered, for now, a success. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.